Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This past week, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine started being administered in the Chicago area, and the latest phase of the war to halt the coronavirus pandemic was underway. This battle is going to have to be fought on many fronts, from the handling of the vaccine itself to monitoring those who receive it, to getting doses where they need to go. This weekend, we're going to discuss it all. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. We're going to focus on Cook County for our examination of the vaccine phase because it really gives us the range of the challenges that face health officials. There are two hospitals in Chicago, Stroger and Provident, and the city has its own issues. But Cook County also has affluent suburbs and those that are struggling and a range of hospitals. So it's kind of a microcosm. And we're going to talk with two health officials who can take us from the overall view down to the street level. Dr. Kieran Joshi is senior medical officer and co-leader of the Cook County Department of Public Health. And Dr. Sharon Welbill is the chair of infection control for the Cook County Health and Hospitals System. And if there are any two people who will be strict about following health protocols, it's these two. So we are social distancing for sure. We are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing. Dr. Welbell and Dr. Joshi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you both for being here on what has been a really busy year and an even busier last week. Um, I think we should probably start with the vaccine story that was making the headlines at the end of the week. And that is that the state's second shipment of uh, vaccine doses and, and likely the third are estimated to be about half of what was expected. Um, is this the kind of thing that should have people worried as you know about the supplies as we're just getting started uh, dr wellbell thank you for that yeah it it certainly was a surprise to hear that we were planning on having many more vaccines that said i think that given that this is the first time for this particular vaccine rollout we anticipated some things miscommunications multiple things that could potentially occur. And although it's disappointing, we can definitely manage it and stagger how we're going to be giving vaccines. The one thing we need to make sure is that people who got the first dose is going to get their second dose by day 21. Hmm. And that that's a logistical thing. And, and uh, Dr. Joshi, I mean, when it comes to moving this vaccine around, what does a, disrupt, a disruption or, or 
maybe disruption is the wrong word, uncertainty in the distribution, what does that do for all the planning that has gone into this? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that, um, you know, our, our entire effort, our entire response to uh, COVID-19 has been, I think, marked by uncertainty at all levels. Um, and so to some extent, this is, this is nothing new. Um, we're used to, you know, dealing with uncertainty um, in public health and, and a lot of complexity, but I, I think um, this is a whole other level of operational and logistical complexity. Um, you know, and not just the uncertainty in terms of the availability of the vaccine, um, but also, you know, the need, for example, for ultra cold storage that has been much discussed in the case of the Pfizer vaccine. That said, you know, we, we have um, a lot of strengths uh, in our health department, including many longstanding relationships with partners. Um, and, you know, what I've been saying from the beginning is that our response has been a team effort and certainly the um, uh, undertaking to vaccinate all 2.5 million people in our jurisdiction is going to be a massive um, team effort. Um, and you brought this up, uh, Dr. Joshi, but uh, I guess Dr. Wellbell has uh, been dealing more with the vaccine itself. All vaccines have to be handled properly, but that ultra cold storage that's needed uh, in this, what kind of challenges that does that present when you're dealing with such a range of hospitals? I mean, how, and also how serious is this? I mean, the need for this cold storage, because I heard that in one place, uh, they put some of it in quarantine because the, the storage had gotten too cold, which wasn't, I would not have expected that to be an issue. And either one of you that wants to take that. Yeah, I, I read that report. Um, and I think um, Gustav Perna, um, the individual that's in charge of the overall federal uh, vaccination effort, essentially said that they wanted to err on the side of caution. I think the bottom line is that there's a very narrow window of conditions in which um, this vaccine, this particular vaccine is stable. And the goal is to ensure that everyone who receives the vaccine um, is adequately protected. And outside of that window of temperatures, um, we're less confident that they'd be fully protected. So it's in the interests of safety and of, of really just doing the right thing. But now the logistics of getting a vaccine that has such you know, specific conditions to it. Not all hospitals, uh, I would think not many hospitals have ultra cold uh, refrigeration. What does that do to, uh, and what, is, what does that require to get it to where it needs to go in the condition it needs to be? I think immediately there are plans in place to um, transport the vaccine by various entities from the feds to the state, to locals, to hospitals. Um, there are plans in place to transport the vaccine using dry ice, for example. Some hospitals, institutions, um, and local health departments such as ours have procured ultra-cold freezers. I think looking forward, though, um, the need for this is going to diminish, um, as I believe uh, Pfizer is looking at reformulating the vaccine to um, you know, not require such stringent ultra-cold conditions. So that in combination with the increasing availability of other vaccines, such as the Moderna vaccine, um, which an FDA panel um, uh, voted positively on yesterday, 
um, which also does not require ultra cold storage. I think that will, um, you know, obviate the need for large, larger scale ultra cold storage going forward and will eliminate one of the major logistical challenges for this vaccination effort. Now let's talk about the, the vaccine itself. I mean, people want to know that this vaccine is safe, of course. And, uh, and just because of all the uh, publicity and frankly, all the, uh, the rancor that we've had over this last year, some worry that Operation Warp Speed may have rushed things. Uh, Dr. Wellbill, you uh, know a lot about the trials that were going on. Uh, what do you say to people who say, was this too fast? You know, I completely understand that concern. We have this novel virus that's been circulating in a naive population. We have, you know, millions of uh, people who've become ill and hundreds of thousands who have died. And so we, uh, we want to make sure that the vaccine is not gonna be worse than the disease itself. Um, and things did happen very quickly. That said, there were a lot of resources put towards um, creating this vaccine. And for that reason, that is, that is what um, allowed us to implement this so quickly. No corners were cut. Uh, the vaccines have all gone through phase one, phase two, Mo you know, the ones uh, Pfizer, of course, and now Moderna have completed phase three trials. Others are still in phase three trials like AstraZeneca and J&J. &J. And so all of the traditional phases of the trial and even prior to phase one trials, there, there was research going on. So in that sense, it seems like things happened very quickly. Things did happen very quickly, but that is because resources were put into this to allow it to happen so quickly. I feel very confident in the vaccine. I'm, I'm very excited to get the vaccine myself um, and can't wait till the rest of my family can get the vaccine. Uh, we know that in terms of the, the mechanism of action or this messenger RNA, that's the other thing, that's a novel mechanism of action for a vaccine. But really, really, uh, research has been ongoing for over 10 years on this mechanism of action for vaccines for like Zika and Ebola, even influenza. So I feel, I do feel comfortable with it. Um, now, this is both a medical and a perhaps public relations concern, but there are gonna be some reactions to the shots. Uh, and, and some of it is, you know, typical, um, like pain at the uh, at the site of the injection, which you know I took a flu shot recently and I had that, so it happens. But there are other reactions possible. I think people may have heard the story about the Alaska health worker who went into a severe reaction. Uh, can you give put that in perspective for us? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting because there, here we had these two large trials, 30,000, Moderna, 44,000, and Pfizer, and we didn't see those types of reactions. Um, and then uh, right away in the UK, we saw two people who had what was called an anaphylactoid reaction. Those people had a history of allergies carried around EpiPens maybe not as unexpected for, for somebody who's hypersensitive. But then we heard about this um, healthcare worker in Alaska 
who had, did not have a history of allergies. What is that about? It, you know, honestly, it, it's unclear right now. The vaccine itself is, doesn't have a whole lot in it. It has the strands of genetic material. It has some sugar and some saline or some electrolytes. And then it has this lipid complex that pre protects the, the strands of genetic material. And so, you know, it's not a vaccine that has a lot of um, preservatives or anything like that. So, you know, I think we're, we're really going to have to wait and see. And we're hoping that we're not going to see much more of this. But yeah, I think as we are vaccinating millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, we will see some reactions. Uh, and I think everybody needs to be prepared for that. Just like whenever we give any vaccine, people need to be prepared for somebody to have a reaction. And in fact, the, uh, I, I understand that the protocol is going to be for people who do take the uh, vaccine to stick around for a few minutes. Yeah, so observation for at least 15 minutes. And for people who have a history of severe anaphylactic reactions to other vaccines, then they need to be monitored for 30 minutes. Um, now, the recommendation right now, of course, is if one has a history of allergy to components of the particular vaccine, not to take it. But so far, we know of three people that have that's occurred, right, because it's a new vaccine. Um, but there is that recommendation if people have uh, severe allergic reactions to other vaccines or injectable agents to be monitored for 30 minutes. That is the current recommendation, and it may change as we see um, what occurs as we vaccinate more people. To what extent to, are these early? Oh, go ahead, Dr. Joshi. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add on to Dr. Wellbell's comments on the safety piece, um, because this is directly connected to public health, which is that we do have ongoing systems in place to look out for, monitor, track uh, potential side effects of the vaccine. And in the instance of this vaccine, because it's new, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're gonna be particularly focused on that. So we're looking at this very closely um, and we'll share out that information in the form of guidance to providers and the public on an ongoing basis. Would it be fair to say that to some extent, these early stages, which are among healthcare professionals, um, are in a way that are trials in themselves? Uh, in other words, that you're gonna be look, observing the people who are taking the vaccine now and keeping track of them. Yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting framing. I would characterize it as uh, the term we use is surveillance. Um, and I don't mean that in the, the government is watching people sense, but rather the government is looking out for the public in order to protect everyone. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking all about the coronavirus vaccine with Dr. Sharon Wellbell, head of infection control for Cook County's health and hospital system, and Dr. Kieran Joshi, co-leader of the Cook County Department of Public Health. And, and I want to turn to how the rollout is going and, and how do the officials prioritize even within medical staffs on who gets first and next and, and the like, is that all prescribed by the federal guidelines or does there really have to be some individual decision-making at the local level? Uh, yeah, so 
for us, it, it is it. So there are federal guidelines, um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have their guidelines and there are local guidelines. So for us who are living in Chicago, Chicago Department of Public Health has its guidelines. Um, Cook County Department of Public Health has its guidelines, but we are um, allowed to do what we want with them. So they those are guidelines, they're recommendations. And from speaking to colleagues like myself at other institutions, everybody's doing it a little bit differently. Um, we are sticking very close to the CDPH guidelines and looking at people who are at highest risk of being in healthcare providers who are at highest risk of being in contact with patients who have COVID or are suspected of COVID and who also participate in what are called aerosol generating procedures, like when somebody gets intubated um, to be on mechanical ventilation and those sorts of things. So those are the people we identified first and, and it's not just physicians. So it would be physicians and nurses, even clerks who are in that area, um, environmental service workers who may come in and out of the room. So we're really have, you know, we have a broad net to look at that and we're pretty generous and allowing people to self-identify. And then we'll go on from there. Once we get through the hundreds of thousands of, uh, of healthcare workers that have to be uh, dealt with, uh, long-term care facilities are next. Um, what are the concerns there? Because you're dealing at, when you're not dealing with the people who are doing the care, the people who are getting the care in these facilities are very often elderly and in frail health. Uh, are there special considerations that, have to be uh, put into play when you're dealing with that population. Yeah, you know, as um, Dr. Walbell mentioned, um, the guidance that we're following for the rollout of the vaccine broadly um, was developed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And it follows a phased approach that assumes limited vaccine availability early on. Um, so as you scale up vaccine production and availability increases, we can offer it to more people. First phase, as you mentioned, um, includes, um, as we just discussed, includes healthcare workers in hospitals. Um, it also includes healthcare workers in long-term care facilities and long-term care facility residents. The rationale behind prioritizing the residents of those long-term care facilities is that one of our primary goals, one of our primary objectives all throughout this uh, response has been to protect the healthcare system. And we know that our seniors and um, indeed residents of long-term care facilities have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Um, and as they become sick, end up in the hospitals and, and ICUs. So I think it's an appropriate strategy to prioritize that group. Um, and I think here, um, the federal government has taken um, the wise approach of contracting with two large uh, national pharmacy chains to go in and vaccinate both residents and staff of long-term care facilities. So nearly all of the, I believe 200 or so long-term care facilities in suburban Cook County um, will be vaccinated by um, one of those two uh, federal pharmacy partners. And now I want to look ahead a bit because I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening to this are, the big question is, all right, when does this get to people who are not already in a healthcare setting? And 
how do you expect that that role, part of the rollout to go uh, when it might be much more widely distributed? And also, and I know it's a point you made in your news conference at the beginning of the week, uh, that there aren't enough uh, hospitals and, you know, to be the places where this is given out, that this has got to be a really widespread effort. But where? Yeah, um, again, it's this is going to be a team sport. Um, I don't think any one entity could be responsible for vaccinating all 2.5 million people in suburban Cook County. And so we um, plan to rely on partners to the extent possible for our efforts and have been um, really strongly encouraging as many providers in the community um, to sign up, healthcare providers that is, to sign up to be vaccine providers. Um, so if any of your listeners are among that group, I would highly encourage them to check out our website, cookcountypublichealth.org, and they could learn more about how to sign up to be COVID-19 vaccine providers. The state has, by the way, expanded the um, scope of practice of a number of different groups of healthcare professionals. So now, for example, dentists can sign up to administer a COVID-19 vaccine. One more quick point that I wanted to make is that, um, you know, I know everyone is anxious, many, many folks are anxiously wondering when they could be vaccinated. And I would just ask for folks to have some patience with us here. There is a lot of uncertainty in terms of the, from the availability of the vaccine to making sure that we have enough vaccinators in the community for this gargantuan effort. Um, but I wanna assure your listeners that um, we are working as diligently as possible um, to make sure that this vaccine rollout happens in an efficient and an effective manner. And while there are a lot of people who are anxious to take the vaccine, there are also a lot of people who are not so anxious, uh, some out of, out of fears, not just what we were discussing earlier, um, and it's not just African-Americans and Latinx people. A lot of people are wondering whether they should be first in line. What's the plan for addressing those kinds of concerns? And yeah, there are some racial concerns because of past history in this country with medical uh, studies and, and the like. Um, how do you get people to have confidence in this? Yeah, I think... Um there has got to be consistent messaging, again, at all levels of government um, and at all levels of our society. Um, this is, as I said, a team sport. It's a societal, society-wide effort. Um, and so from my perspective, you know, I think I wanna be very clear in that when I counsel patients, for example, about any treatment or preventive measure I sort of work through, I, I walk through the risks and the benefits with them. As Dr. Wildbell stated at the very beginning of this conversation, you know, very few side effects, very limited. Um, we think really, we think the safety profile of this vaccine is very good. Um, we're gonna be monitoring on an ongoing basis. And the benefits are that you protect yourself from COVID-19 and not only yourself, but your loved ones, all of those around you. And um, again, all of society, this whole effort, um, this whole nationwide response to COVID-19 has been a giant exercise in altruism to some degree. 
we've asked folks to wear masks and to physically distance and to observe good hand hygiene practices um, because of that. And so I think if we all work together, um, we can really um, go far and we can get um, more than 70% of uh, the population vaccinated to get to herd immunity and ultimately to stop the spread of COVID-19. I see you nodding, Dr. Welville. Yeah, I, I, I thank you. Um, I completely agree with, with what's been said. And I, I, I also really encourage people to have patience because everybody, I believe, will have the opportunity to get vaccinated. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking, you know, thinking about the spring and it'll go through the summer and then people will continually get vaccinated. And look, we're still doing studies for younger folks, uh, studies for the 12 to 16 or 17 year olds, because remember these studies were done on adults, um, 16 year olds and over for the Pfizer vaccine, 17 and older for Moderna, uh, studies in pregnant women and so forth. So we're gonna continually be getting data. And as more and more people get vaccinated, we're gonna get data on what's going on with those folks. I, I wanna also put a plug in for VSAFE when we were talking about um, uh, vaccinate, about safety, sorry, vaccine safety. And VSAFE is um, a CDC web-based tool uh, that one uses on their smartphone where there is direct communication from a patient or a, a person who got vaccinated, I should say, to the CDC and they can, they can have a, a conversation about um, anything that they're concerned about. Uh, so something that you know, one has to register for. Um, another way to do surveillance. Uh, one more thing I wanna talk about that's more of a trying to look ahead. How far will we have to go before as a public, we will start noticing a difference? Not necessarily that all of a sudden we can throw away masks, but, but what will people see when there's an indication that this is working. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so this is a, um, an ongoing discussion in terms of, you know, when do we roll back, for example, the mitigation strategies that we've put into place? So um, I think it's, it's um, related to the, the, the things that we look at are both vaccine uptake, but also more primarily, the indicators that we've been following in the community um, for the spread of COVID-19. And so that includes not only the rates of COVID-19, but the test positivity. So the proportion of tests that we're seeing uh, come back positive, but also, and most importantly, um, evidence of any strain on the health system. So if all three of those measures are looking good um, and we do expect them to improve as vaccine uptake increases, we would start to roll back mitigation measures in a stepwise fashion. And um, there are plans in place to do that. Um, you know, you've talked about strains on the, on the health system. How much of a strain is this part of the, uh, the battle against COVID-19? A strain on the, the, the people who are doing this. I mean, there's a lot riding on this and the system and the, peop and the people who are doing it, who've already been doing Herculean work, you know, are now doing this. I, I just wonder if sometimes it just doesn't get to be, you know, just overwhelming. 
Yeah, I think when you say doing this, you mean our vaccine programs? Yes, even though, but I mean, the people who are doing the vaccine program are the people who are doing everything else, too. That's that's true. Of course, we have our um, community partners, but that is true. Uh, Fortunately, we have, you know, I think in in most institutions, certainly in ours, we just have an an incredible group of dedicated folks who have all been pitching in um and to 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 help out with this and we you know actually having the vaccine available to us and developing the program uh for allocating vaccine you know just for receiving the vaccine allocating vaccine and then actually yesterday giving the vaccine has really given us a lot of energy so i think it's just really has been important that we have this. And although everybody is incredibly fatigued, overworked, um, this was yesterday was just so much fun. Um, It was just having, watching people get their first vaccine who they themselves were so excited to get it. I think we were all pretty tearful and knowing that this is really the beginning to eradicating or not completely eradicating, but controlling this vaccine, maybe getting to herd immunity. So I think that surge of excitement really gave us a little more adrenaline and push. And then of course, just everybody working together. Yeah. Thank you. That is going to be the final word. We are out of time, but that was a wonderful way to end it. That is Dr. Sharon Wellbell of Cook County's Health and Hospital System. I'd also like to thank Dr. Kieran Joshi of the Cook County Department of Public Health. Thanks to both of you for spending this time with us. Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You'll also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.